Okay, what we've been discussing is we've been discussing Zrizus, and we've been discussing that the idea of Zrizus is not really a creation, but a revelation through a series of different actions to find a part of ourselves which is present but latent and hidden. And through directed, intended acts, that part of self comes to the forefront and our very knowledge of it empowers us and enables us to become aware of the asset and use it in the future. The premise that we're working with is that the notion of potential is a pristine and perfect self buried underneath the surface. And all we're trying to do in life is access that being. And very often, therefore, simply by getting rid of the junk on top, the essence of being can become our experience of life. And often the way that the stuff, the, the obstacles, the obstructions manifest are in terms of thoughts. And Aust mentioned an event that occurred to him. And uh, if you don't mind, I could tell the guys what happened. Okay. Um, so I was going through a thought pattern in the morning of a Shabbos, and it was something that was totally irrelevant and not productive for me, <coughs> which I didn't necessarily enjoy thinking about. And I found myself able to just stop the thought in its track and kind of remove myself from... Um, continuing to think about it any longer and it was it was interesting because I could isolate it as being something outside of myself so that's called a ma- that, that's, a, that's a major step forward it means that the separation of thought and self was clear enough for me to actually be proactive in the way that I relate to all things coming in the minute that you become visible of your, you, your thoughts become visible and the distinction can occur, so now you're empowered. And therefore, it doesn't mean that you'll always necessarily be able to fight them or remove them, but even when they come, they therefore have less power because they're no longer reality. It's just something that I'm generating in my mind. You follow? Good? Okay. So now, I'll tell you what happened to me, which is also, I think, is a consequence of this work that we're doing on Zerizos. So I've been working, I've had this theme of change in my life that by what we said originally was simply by speeding up our actions, it actually produces a completely different emotional energy in what you're doing. That when you do something fast, it has a different, a completely different quality. And what happens is the idea that we began discussing last year of time becomes a very different quantity, a different kind of a different kind of thing. Time becomes different. Time becomes almost charged. I'll give you an example, and this is, I think, it's the first time, one of the first times something like this has happened to me. So I'm working on this, the speeding up my actions, and it's amazing how much faster I can find myself moving than I actually do move. It's like it's, it's a minuscule effort, but when you put in that, that small effort and you just speed up your movements from lethargic to engaged, you just everything just becomes happier. So what happened on Shabbos morning is I normally dive in at a minion, 
which begins around about 8 o'clock. And I woke up at 5.15. So I got up and dove at night. But it wasn't this vicious battle that I had against sleep, which was this heavy burden upon me. I woke up. I felt fresh. Dove at night. It was a non-issue. And I see that as a direct correlation. You have to understand, when you start working on a particular trait, it's like a very long wire that goes throughout your body. And it's connected to all a whole different range of different places. So you'll be working on a particular thing, and then all of a sudden, in something totally unrelated, uh, this kind of change that you're working on will pop up there. So I'll be working on making sure that, let's say, um, when I go towards learning, I run towards it as opposed to lethargically walking. And when I open up the book, I open the book up with speed. And then all of a sudden, somewhere else it will manifest itself that could even manifest itself in terms of appreciating the value of someone else's learning and getting excited about it. Because there's this interconnection that when you touch the source of it, so it influences everywhere where that thing operates. What we're working on is we're working on core midas. And midas are, they, they, they're one, but they have multiple, ma- multiple manifestations. I think it's a very important idea to express. I want to go back to the idea of time. Okay? Good. Anyone else with our is about how Zeus is affected in Binyamin? Please. Imagine doing it while you just thought about the concept of energizing myself. And then it obviously passed a few seconds and I got up. Um, and a short while later I realized that I was doing stuff energized even though I was actually doing it. I wasn't focused on doing it in an energized way. It was like I kind of suggested it to myself. And it just happened. Hmm. That was really interesting. So you, you see that even when... It, it starts to operate on a call it subconscious level that the initial the initial kind of trigger is conscious and then it just gets its life of its own which is amazing that's that's what you want to do right good Yochanan I have a poem from today I was going to uh, I had a call on Thursday from a random number and I guess my visa came in and it was approved for some reason the first time, which is a miracle in and of itself. So I went in today, but I was a little late after chakras. So I missed the train. I ran to it, and as I ran to it, it was driving. I was like, okay, so I have a couple minutes. So by the time the next train came, I was already late to get the place. So as soon as I got through, I just started sprinting there. I ever having this thought like, oh, this probably looks so funny to everyone around me just randomly running, like, in the middle of giant crowds that are all walking. I was like, oh, but I'm ready to do a mitzvah, and it reminded me of the, uh, being bold as, as a leopard. And I was just kind of like, I was laughing to myself, which made me realize, oh, I look even more ridiculous to everyone around me, which fed into the thought even more of, like, oh, this is even better. And then I got there, and I ended up waiting for, like, ten minutes, so that wasn't even the point. And then I was walking back, the train was coming, so I was like, oh, great, so now I have to run to do it again. And it was just this really nice, happy feeling. And then I got back off the bus. I was like, well, I'm sure right now. Why am I not running to that? Hmm. So just kind of like halfway walking through, I just started sprinting. And might as well figure out I'll have to get my backpack and the same thing. So just kind of like 
perpetuated into that thought. Great. Great. Um, okay, good. Good, good, good. Back to the idea of uh, time. So he said that the way we, we describe time is the when you measure the distance between two events. And the, the, the point I'd like to emphasize, because this is crucial for our conception of time, but also our conception of Zrizus, is that when you measure two points of time, it means there's something finite about the measurement. You can describe it in terms of hours, minutes, and seconds. And just as you can describe a physical space based on its dimensions, so the equivalent to a physical dimension, a physical, let's say, space, would be a, a block of time. So I've been thinking about this a lot. If a person has a clear conception of time, it means that you see time, you could almost represent time as space, just for clarity's sake. So imagine that an hour is a box which is approximately 30 centimeters by 15 centimeters. So you've got this box, this rectangular box in front of you. And what you want to put in, what you want to do in that time, are a bunch of, you know, these wooden blocks. And now what you want to do is you want to put those wooden blocks into that, into that box. And what's the first thing that you'd have to evaluate? If you want to figure out how you're going to put these blocks into this box, what would you think about? How big is each block? And are they going to fit into the box? You're not going to, you know, you've got, if you've got 20 blocks and they're the size of something which is 50 centimeters by 60 centimeters. So you look at the blocks and you look at the box and you say, gosh, these items aren't going to fit into this thing. And therefore you say, okay, well, I'm going to have to leave this one out. I have to leave this one out. And what you'll probably do is you'll do some type of sorting process. And you'll say, gosh, I'm going to have to leave out that one because that one's not ready. It doesn't have to come with me. For example, if you're packing a bag, we've all had the experience when you're packing for a holiday and you've got a limited amount of space in your suitcase. Specifically, not even for holiday, you're packing to come to Israel for an extended period of time and you want to bring all these things with you. But the problem is there's a, there's a weight allowance on your suitcase. So you can't put everything in. Or when you're going away for a weekend, you want to carry, carry really a small bag. You can't put everything in. So then what you have to do is you have to be enormously selective in what goes in and what stays out. So the actual process of leaving things out becomes as crucial as what you put in. And when you do that, that choice shows priority. The choice of what, puts, what you put in and what you leave out is priority. <coughs> what do I value most and what I value less? You following me? And therefore, Zrizos which is the middah of deciding what do you put into the block of time, the box of time, shows priorities. Once I, once I was speaking to a person and he asked me a question, I said, look, I really just don't have time for that. And he said to me, the phrase, I don't have time for that, translates as, that's not a priority for me. Anything you don't have time for, you're saying, in my high hierarchy of importance, it doesn't quite make it. There's always enough time for the things which are vitally important. The person says, you know, I don't have enough time to, to do exercise. What is he saying? 
saying, in my list of priorities, exercise is, is not important. No one says, I don't have enough time to eat. Because if it's something which is crucial, so then you find the time for it. So whenever you say, I don't have enough time for it, it means in my hierarchy of priorities, this doesn't, this doesn't play a role. So it comes out, like the Ramchal says, that the point of Zuzus, which is the way we relate to time, is based on a prior set of values as to what we determine as being valuable or not. And now I look at my day. And this is very important. I look at my day as a box. And I think to myself, gosh, what can I fit in to this limited space? How many things can I put in? I could, I could put lots of things into my average day. I could put loads of things. What could I put in? I could put in a three-hour trip to the bar. No, not to get mindlessly drunk, even though it is Adar, but to sip at a decent pace, sitting there and taking in the scene. And after the first beer, I'll do something different. I'll have a draft, as opposed to a malt. In other words, and a person can put that in, and then what else could you put in? Well, I could put in, you know, a little bit of relaxing reading. And I could. When you've arranged, when you've, when you've come up with what you're fitting in that box, that tells me what's important to me. What you put into your time is what's important to you. And it also tells you whatever fits in and whatever gets left out is what's unimportant to you. So actually, there's a way of looking at what you put into time as also a form of self-reckoning, of self-evaluation, of coming to terms with what do you value in life, which is also an interesting idea. So how does Rizus work from this? So again, the Ramchal defines Rizus as ha'akdome lemitzvus ulashlomas inyonom. That Zrizus is the first step of shaking off the dust of Atzlus, of laziness, of depression, of fear. And Zrizus, this, this enthusiasm, this zeal, this vitality, is also the first step towards spiritual connection. And in order for a person to be spiritually connected, so when he chooses to fill up the box of time, he chooses to place in that box things which bespeak that idea. So this, is, this becomes quite interesting because you can then start to think about different units of time. You can think about time in terms of years. You can think of time in terms of decades. You can think of time in terms of hours. And you can think of time in terms of minutes. Or you can even think of time in terms of seconds. There were great people that thought about time in terms of seconds. Whereby their Zrizos were so elevated that their decision wasn't what should I put into this hour. The decision was what should I put into this second in other words, the notion of time was so real to them. These small compartmentalized units had so were pregnant with so much potential that they didn't want to miss out even one small, small unit of time. The, the example is, one of the examples, is um, something which we have to think about and process and not to get carried away with. But one of the examples was Rebbe Chonin Wasserman, person that was martyred in the Holocaust. But when he made a decision about which boots to buy, he chose the slip-on version as opposed to the lace-up because the seconds it would take him to lace up the boots which would distract him from his study and grasping of Torah. So for him, there was a decision of how he wanted to fill up his time. So it influenced the clothes he wore and the shoes that he put on in the morning.
the Shagas Arya, who is a renowned genius, was said to review a single tractate when he was called up to read the Torah in the gap between when he left his pew to ascending the Bema, so he quickly in his mind went over a given Masechta. So he filled those few seconds with something productive. Now, I'm not suggesting that any of you do that in the next three weeks. <laughs> I'm not suggesting that any of you do that in the next three years. What I'm trying to point out four is... Four years, sorry. <laughs> what I'm trying to point out is that time has incredible potential. A tiny unit of time is enormously expansive. And what Zrizos tends to do is it tends to move our perception of the units of time from looking at time as this big, generous expanse, and therefore we think of things in terms of years and decades, to look at the enormous value in a second. And when you do that, it could be there's an element of you almost, in a certain sense, in a certain sense, um, de-physicalize, de that's a new word I just made up on the spot. I don't, I don't know how you say it, but it's more, more along the lines is that instead of looking at, at, at this time as this slow, gently moving river, it becomes this, in my mind, I see it as, a, as, as, as almost a set of small doorways that you open up the doorway and then behind the doorway there's an unlimited view. It's almost that every second in time is just a gateway to something which is, which is one wouldn't think could be contained in that minute unit. I have a made-up word for you. You can try. Gone. Detangitize. Detangitize. That's the word I was thinking of. Detangitize. Yeah. Detang. There, there are those that, that say detangibilize, okay. but uh, I think we're going in the same direction. Okay. So, so let's 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 take this back to. Um, the ants. And you'll see that there's a, a new point that comes out of this. When, when, the, when Shloima Melech quotes the verse in regard to ants, there's two points that he brings out. The one is the activity that the ant engages in. Leich al see her ways and become wise. And then the verse continues and says, um, I've forgotten the, the, the rest of the verse, but the, the meaning of the verse is, in the, in the summer she stores her storehouses. She fills her storehouses, referring to the ant and the feminine. Um, an ant, and the Medjus goes on to explain that an ant needs a grain of wheat and a half to sustain itself. In other words, the personal needs of an ant are minute. And yet the ant 
congregates exponentially more food than it could ever possibly eat. And the major says an interesting personification of what the ant is saying to itself when it does this. So the ant says, <coughs> well, who knows? Maybe Hashem will decree life upon me and I'll live for a thousand years. And I'll be able to eat all these huge storehouses of food. So the, the idea of the ant of being extremely productive, but a productivity which is way beyond need. So Rabbi Ruchim takes his medrash and he ties it into the relationship between zrizus and ambition. Zeal and ambition. And he actually quotes from last week's Pasha. There's a Ramban that describes a verse. Anyone describing the workers that helped to make the Mishkan, the tabernacle, and it describes them as those whose hearts carried them. It's a strange usage of language, being carried by your heart. And the Ramban explains that the people that were called in to do the work were not skilled artisans. They had no craftsmanship qualifications whatsoever. What they were was excessively ambitious. They wanted to do. They wanted to strive to the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate best. They realized that there was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that they could form a contributing part to the creation of a Mishkan, which was some type of spiritual mechanism of connection that would fuse the spiritual and physical world in this integrated, incredibly sophisticated machine. And they saw the potential for unbridled spiritual connection and they said, you know what? We're going to go for it. If you stopped them along the way and said, you know, do you guys have the skills? Do you have, do you have the carpentry skills, the architectural skills, the, the weaving skills? They would say, no. Well, what do you have? All they had was ambition. An unrealistic ambition. Completely beyond, beyond the expectations. So, Reb Yeruchim explains this Ramban and he says, that is a natural ingredient of spiritual growth. A ridiculous, ridiculous ambition. Something we've spoken about previously, that the Medrash says that a person is high of Adam Loima, person is obligated to say, the person should ask himself, he's obligated to ask himself, meaning it's not something for the odd individual, but something which is a basic bread and butter of our spiritual existence. We should inquire of ourselves, as, so when am I going to be another Abraham, Isaac and Jacob? Abraham? I'm going to be an Abraham? Ani Avram? <laughs> Prepas, you're going to be Avram Avinu? Wow! Whoa, whoa, whoa! How can you say no? The major says you're obligated to say yes. Yes. That doesn't sound so convincing. <laughs> you have to say when I'm going to be Avram. So I say to you, Avram, you say to me, Rabbi, be realistic, okay? I'm about Shiva. Can I can't read a Gemara? I'm going to be Avram Avinu, who knew all the spiritual secrets of the world. Go on, give me a break. So I've told you the story before, and I'm going to tell it to you again about Rabbi Aaron Margalit. A shocking story. I won't go through all the details. Essentially a child stricken with polo that was 
almost completely paralyzed and went through a, a exceptionally difficult rehabilitation process. At a certain stage, he was taken to a sanatorium in San Simon, which is a part of Jerusalem, and he was left in his bed. His mother would make extreme efforts, but she could only come visit him once a week. Literally had to go by donkey part of the way in the 50s. And he sat there in that lay, almost motionless, in that sanatorium for years. And he says the worst experience he had was on Shabbos because no one came to visit him and all the other patients had lots of visitors and when they saw him lying there they would, they would talk about him as if he wasn't there and make comments about him which was so emotionally hurtful that he used to just <coughs> cut through his soul. And then he says, but then one Shabbos I discovered something which changed my life forever. So I get really excited when I read these lines in the book. The book's called I Will Survive. I Will Survive. I think so. I will survive. As long as I live. 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 So he, he, he's, he's, he's confronted by this situation where he decides to do something and he decides he's going to change his life. And he changed his life by taking the covers and managing to pull them over his head. And he says, that changed his life forever. Now, I was quite disappointed by the anticlimax. Why did that change his life forever? Oh, he said then because people couldn't speak about him because they didn't notice he was there. But then he said something else. He said, and then, when the covers were over his head, he began to dream. And what did he dream of? Well, he dreamt of the fact that he could move again. He dreamt that he'd be playing catch with his brothers. And he dreamt and he dreamt and he visualized and he imagined until those visualizations, those ambitions, became part of his mental framework. And through an arduous and difficult, painful journey, he eventually became fully mobile. And he's now, he's, 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 he's alive and well and giving courses. <laughs> and that was like one of the, like, in his extremely difficult life, that was just one part of it. He then suffered cancer and recovered twice. So he's a person who's, but the point, the defining component was this absolutely powerful ambition that was way, way, it was in, uh, unfathomable. He went back to the, to the sanatorium many, many years later and he spoke to one of the workers that was there at the time when he was a patient and he said that, you know, he was here as a patient and the, and the, the, the worker laughed at him. He says, no one came out of that ward, no one be able, they wouldn't be able to walk, they wouldn't be able to talk, you're joking, you're not, you're not serious. And then he just started to describe details of what occurred when he was in the ward and this, this worker almost fainted. Because he says it's impossible. It was just impossible. So now, again, there needs to be caution in this thought processes. But you have to realize that dreaming the impossible, dreaming the impossible, is a vital ingredient of spiritual work. And that's why you look at the ant. The ant dreams the impossible. The ant goes at a ferocious pace to provide food that it will never be able to eat. Without that ambition, so you can never be something you can't imagine yourself being. It doesn't mean you'll ever become the person that you imagine yourself to be. But you can never be something you can't imagine yourself to be. And and all it needs is one tiny grain of wheat and a half. For us to become Jewishly viable, you don't need that much. 
You don't need that much. But you need to learn a little bit of basic Hebrew, get a basic knowledge of how to keep the mitzvahs, and you're up and running. That's all you need. But don't you have a dream of, of not having a moment in your day that you don't feel elevated and connected? That every one of your movements is saturated with spirituality and has a transcendent component to it? As opposed to living in, in the mundane? Of grasping the entirety of Hashem's wisdom? Knowing everything. Shas, Poiskim, Kabbalah, the works. You can know it all. You say, what do you mean I can know it all? I can barely read Hebrew. The, the chances are, the situation we're in, the impossibility of us gaining all that, is not further than Iron Margalit being able to walk and run around and be a human being in the normal sense of the word. That's what Pazuzus is. You can imagine if those are your ambitions, so then every second becomes valuable. But if your ambitions are to kind of be a normal Jew from Yid, I'm a from Yid, I daven three times a day, I'm a good, I'm a good, I keep Shukhan Oruch, shakal have. Whiskey at the Kiddush on Shabbos. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. I know you say, hey, don't leave don't leave I've mastered the Shivish, <laughs> I say the right Shivish, time, Shivish phrases at the right time. I've got it all down, and that's it, and I've made it. So then, so then, so then, so then, you don't look at time in terms of seconds. Your units of times can be very open, they're very generous. But if you're asking yourself your question, Preppers, the question is, when am I going to master the mysteries of the Arizal's Kabbalah? And you say to me, you don't even know who the Arizal is. Do you know who the Arizal is? Yes. There you go. So when are you going to master the mysteries of his Kabbalah? So you In say, time. So you say, well, if that's where my focus is now, so then it's going to change what I do today. It's going to radically change what I do in the next years. Because I have that. I'm not saying that's the only aspiration. The aspiration of, when am I going to be that when I walk into a room, I become superbly in tune with everyone in the room and what they may need, as opposed to thinking what I can get from them. When I walk into a room, first of all, I make sure that I've got the right seat that's best for me. And then I think, okay, all these people around me, how can they contribute to my well-being? <laughs> Even at their discomfort. That guy can move a little bit to the left, and if I can push him here, and he can bring me some water. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Austin. That was a little bit too repeating. Um, kids are Something to think about. That the relationship between time, how big time is, what the units of time are spaced up into, and how that's connected with priority and ambition, I think are points to ponder. And let's keep on doing our exercise of rapid movement to develop a sense of the zuzas inside of ourselves. <coughs>